John chapter 20. You know, I know we're not supposed to be cocky, but I'm just going to say this Monday, Thursday service by far was one of the best we've ever had. Uh, for those of you that were here, like if you can hit a home run in church, we did. And what I loved about it is that we read, we had the elders, they read the Old Testament, New Testament together showing everything that Christ had to be and then everything that he was. And this cross was actually a door and we were painting the blood on the door like they would have during Passover. And then we brought it together and and made it a cross. And it was just a really, really special evening, um, I thought. And uh, I get the privilege of watching these videos over and over and over because I pick them. And uh, some things that were in that video and why I chose that, just some things that James the Lesser said. He said, we thought it was over. Right. And as we go to John 20. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, by the way, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John wants to make sure he knows, you know, that he's faster than Peter. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came And in good Peter fashion, he just plowed right in. John stops. John looks. John is assessing it. Peter's like a bull in a china shop. Peter came, following him. He went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes laying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. So after Peter went in and made sure there was no boogeyman, apparently, John's like, all right, I can go in there, too. And he saw and he believed for as of yet, they did not understand scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, which was not in Nazareth, was not in Galilee. Right. They were staying in Jerusalem. They had some homes there in Jerusalem. But they thought it was over. Right. They had followed this man for three years. They had learned from this man. They watched this man unjustly be laid on the cross. It didn't all click yet. They went through this Passover meal with him. He had read the scriptures. He had gone through the scenes. And then he got to that third cup, the cup of redemption. And he said, this is my body. This is my blood. And he stopped the Passover right then and there. He didn't finish the meal. He said, it's over. It's finished. I am this now. They, they, they end in prayer, which we read on Thursday night, Psalms 136. And they went out into the garden and he just spent time teaching them and teaching them and teaching them. And then he's arrested and he dies. And they're lost. 
what in the world just happened? We thought it was over. And right here in John, it says, the other disciple, verse 8, who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as of yet, they did not understand Scripture. So they had walked through all this with Jesus. They had walked through the Last Supper. They had walked through Friday night. They would walked through Silent Saturday. I saw someone posted that this morning. I was like, wow, I never thought of Saturday being so silent before. It was the whole eight paragraphs of, of, of just writing, but, but just that imagery of like, man, God was so alive Friday. I mean, there was an earthquake. There was the sun was dark. There was a torn curtain, all of that. And then Sunday, obviously, the, but Saturday would have been long. Just think about that for a minute. If you were a disciple, if you were one of that 120 that had followed Christ, so you've got the disciples, you've got his family, you've got the women, and man, you're, you're just, Saturday, it's the Sabbath, so you can't do anything. So you're just sitting there going, what just happened? Like, he's dead. It, it, it can't be. Like, what just happened? And for all of Saturday, God was silent. Jesus was silent. It was kind of like that time in between the Testaments until Sunday morning. So they did not understand. I mean, John tells us, he's like, we didn't understand. But when he saw that tomb empty, I have to imagine for John, it was like, you know, we see that all the time. We go, mind blown, like, pfft. like it was just like, it all clicked. Because he says, as of yet, they did not understand the scripture, for he must rise from the dead. Because right there it says, he also went in, he saw and believed. So all of Friday, all of Saturday, John and Peter and the others, they're, they're confused. They thought it was over. They felt lost. They felt abandoned. Like, where was God now? Why did this happen? What's going on? Are you kidding me? And then they see the empty tomb. And John, for John anyway, that light bulb went on like, oh, I get it. It was never about throwing over Rome. It was never about an earthly kingdom. It was about something so much more. And, and for me personally, I have to believe in that moment as he went through all those verses they read Thursday night at the Last Supper and all those parts of Passover, it just started to click with John and potentially Peter as well. He did it. He conquered death. So next in John 20 is Mary Magdalene. If you don't know who Mary Magdalene was, Mary Magdalene was a, was a prostitute. She also had seven demons in her. That's a lot of demons. Seven. That's a lot. And, and Jesus had cast them out and he had healed her and he had re, redeemed her. And so she followed Jesus and she had followed Jesus for a good portion of his ministry along with some of the other ladies. She had been healed and he was her everything. Right? He had healed her. She, she was tormented. She was made fun of. She had these things inside of her that were just driving her nuts. And so she was there too because she was the first one there. She was the first one at the tomb that morning. And I can only imagine the pain she was going through. This Jesus had freed her from these demons and from this life that she wasn't proud of. And he was gone. The man had taken him away. The frustration and the anger, I'm sure she felt. And so when she got there, you know, she didn't understand. She's like, they've taken his body. We don't know. She goes back and tells Peter, look, they've taken his body. They, they've hidden him. We don't know what's going on. And Peter and John go, and we know John understands. Verse 8, 
But Mary, she's just there weeping. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Christ had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? Do you still not understand? Unless these are tears of joy, do you still not get it? She didn't. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She was looking for that physical body. She was looking for that thing that she could cling to, that she could hold on to. If his body was there, then it would be okay. She fully did not realize herself what Jesus had meant and said by his life. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus asked her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. She, she still, she just wanted that body. She wanted to hold it one last time. She wanted to have that closure. She wanted to take care of it and fully prepare it because they had prepared it in haste on Friday because they couldn't work past six. And Jesus said to her, Mary, if you were sleeping, you're not now. Mary. And she turned to him and said, Rabbi. Right. And scripture tells us earlier in John that the sheep hear the voice. And in that moment, when he said, Mary, (laughs) she knew that voice. Oh, it's my Lord. He's here. I know that voice. I know his calling. I've heard that tone. I know exactly who just said Mary. Because the sheep, we hear his voice. So she says, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Lord, don't cling to this earthly body. Don't, don't cling to what I was. Don't cling to the man I was. Don't don't cling to Jesus of Nazareth. Cling essentially to who I am. He says, do not cling for me, for I have yet not ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to him, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And these are the things he said to me. She knew his voice. Do we know his voice? If Jesus said, Mike, Chris, Scott, Brandon, Megan, Karen, Diana, would we hear his voice? Would we know that he was speaking to us? Or would we be like, well, that was weird. She knew his voice. And your reminder, don't cling to me. It's not about this life. It's not about earth. It's not about me. It's, it's bigger than that. It's something bigger. I'm going to the Father. In all of my glory, in all of my godness, I'm going to be holy again. I'm going to be at the Father's right hand side. That's what you cling to. You cling to the fact that I am your Lord. That's why I read that quote to you guys from this little book, wherever it went. I lost it. It's a deep thing in here. Our Saviorhood without lordship. 
we can't be saved without him being Lord. It wouldn't work. He's like, don't cling to the Messiah. Don't cling to Jesus, the man. Cling to the fact that I am Lord. I am your God. I am your Savior. And I'm returning to God. And I'm going to give you something even better. So Mary goes. He tells her. He immediately says, go, tell. And Mary doesn't wait around. She doesn't think about it. She doesn't debate it. She doesn't start a quorum and talk about it. She goes. She instantly goes to the disciples and tells them all that she's seen and heard. So John and Peter have gone back and told them. Mary's gone back and told them. And then we get to that evening. Like we saw in the video. On that evening of that day, the disciples, so the ten guys, Thomas was not with them. I don't know where Thomas was. He was out having a pity party, apparently. I don't, I don't know. This is on that evening of that day, the first day of the week. So it's still Sunday. It's the evening time. The doors are locked The disciples were in fear of the Jews. Rightly so, right? They've locked themselves in a room. They're they're, they're scared because the body's gone. They're not 100% sure what's going on. I mean, Peter and John were there and they saw the clothes and they saw the face wrap laid there, folded neatly, which generally means somebody was involved because it was folded neatly. I mean, when we get up in the morning, if we don't fold our clothes or make our bed, you can kind of tell because there's just this pile, right? So the, the, the pure fact that something was folded neatly said there was a person involved. John's believing that Christ is alive. Mary's the only one at this point in time that's seen him. So they're in the upper room and they're scared. And let's be honest, we would all be scared too. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Are they going to blame us? Are they going to accuse us of stealing the body? Are they going to come after us? They've killed him. Are they going to kill us? We're his followers. What are we going to do? Where's his body? What's going on? Mary said she saw him, but no one else has seen him. Do we believe Mary? Is she a crazy person? Did the demons come back? What is going on? I mean, you know those all those things were coming out of them. If any of us are honest, we would be coming out of us. What is going on? So the doors are locked. They're locked in the room. They're fearful of the Jews, rightly so. Jesus came and stood among them. I love that in the video. James, you know, James is like, he was just there. <laughs> I'm with you, Chris. How do you not get excited? Like, you're there in a room and you're freaked out. And who knows if everyone's talking as fast as possible. And all of a sudden, Jesus is just there. It's like, whoa, where did you come from? I'm pretty sure we locked the door and we did not give you a key because you were dead. How, how did you get here? He says, Jesus come and he stood, came and he stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. I'm going to be honest. I'd be like, peace, what are you talking about, brother? I got nothing but peace right now. He knew that. He says, peace be with you. He's like, it's okay. I'm, I'm here. I'm back. And I'm better than ever. I was silent all of Saturday, but now I'm speaking. And it started with an empty tomb, and it started with a stone rolled away. And I'm going to keep speaking for the next 40 days. And you're going to see that I am who I said I am. So peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And in case you weren't sure, he's like, look, I I still have the holes here in my hands. And I've, I've got the hole where they pierced my side. Like, this is not makeup. It's not fake. It's 
really me? And it says they were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So again, it's this immediate response to go. He told Mary, go and tell them. And he says, guys, I'm here. But it's never been about me and this three years earthly life. It's always been about something bigger. It's always been about something greater. And he says, just as the Father sent me, just as the Father sent me to live these last 33 years, and I've spent my life with you, and I've modeled, and I've discipled you, now it's time for you to go. And now it's time for me to send you. Because I've trained you, I've prepared you, you're ready for this. Even though you don't think you are, you're ready. He said, I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you will hold forgiveness, they are withheld. Then we get poor Thomas, right? Man, Thomas takes a really bad rap in the Bible. I'm just going to be honest. If I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have believed it either. Whether that's right or wrong, I'm, I'm with Thomas. I'd have been like, dude, you guys all had way too much wine. You were up too late. You haven't slept in three days. There is no way I'm believing this until I see him. And that's exactly what Thomas said. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twins, was not there when Jesus had appeared to them. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of his nails and place my finger, I will not believe. I, I get that. I, don't, I guess I understand where Thomas is coming from. The confusion, the frustration. Like, are you kidding me? So eight days later, his disciples were again together in Jerusalem. Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked again. And Jesus came. He doesn't need keys anymore. And he stood among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Which is us. We're all of those. None of us have seen the resurrected Christ. None of us have eaten with him. None of us have talked with him. None of us have fished with him. None of us have eaten fish with him. We have not seen him and yet we believe. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who don't see and believe who I am. And then I love these last Two verses in John, chapter 20. It says, the purpose of this book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's where I want to finish up this morning. John says, look, Jesus did all kinds of signs. In fact, in one of the, the other passages, it says if, if, we written, if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, there wasn't enough books in the world. Jesus did so much. And John's like, we've given you a snapshot. We've shared with you this little bit. First off, because we want you to believe that Jesus is Christ. We want anyone reading this to understand who the Son of God was. And I think that was so cool about Thursday night, just reading the two passages back and forth. 
seeing how he perfectly fulfilled both and everything. He's like, so first off, you got to believe, right? The whole point of Resurrection Sunday, the whole point, the tomb is empty, you have to believe. But John doesn't stop there. Just like Jesus didn't stop with them. Jesus said, okay, now you believe, but now you got to go. you got to go. I'm sending you. And he says, and John says, and that by leaving, you may have life in his name. And that's why I chose that video this morning, because in the video, James reminds us, he's like, I am redeemed. I am reborn. He has set me free, were some of the phrases that he used. He has set me free from myself. In other words, we can't have saviorhood without lordship. That's why I opened with that. Believing is a part of it. But what are we going to do with that belief? Believing is just where it starts, people. If all we come in is like, I believe Jesus died on the cross, and I believe the tomb was empty, and nothing changes, we don't treat him as Lord, we don't go out and obey him as Lord, then did we really believe? That's a question you can only answer yourself. But to believe in something means you obey something, you follow something. And that was the point that Jesus was trying to make to Mary and to the disciples. He's like, now I'm going to send you to go. You've got to go teach. You've got to go show. You've got to go reveal. You've got to go make disciples. And John says that by believing, you may have life in his name. In other words, you can't have life without living for him. And the only way you can live for him and have life is by believing. It's a both and. It's a both and. And too many times we try to make it just be about, I raised my hand, I believed he died, I believed he came into my life. And then that's where it stops. That is a false truth we have been teaching in America for far too long. That it's simply, I believe, and therefore I'm saved. Yes! You have to believe. You have to confess to be saved. But then you've got to go live. You've got to go live out the belief. You've got to go obey the Lord. You can't have one without the other. And James, in that video, he says, look, I'm redeemed. I'm reborn. He set me free from myself. He says, I don't mind. He ended that thing with, I don't mind having less of me to have more of him. So surprise, Jesus died because he was who he said he was. He was the king. He was the Messiah. He wanted us to have life. He wanted to save us. But it can't stop there. Now we must hear his voice like Mary did. We must believe in him and we got to go. Be servants to serve him. And that's what you see in the rest of the Gospels, the end of John, when he reinstates Peter. He says, Peter, go and feed my sheep. He doesn't say to Peter, hey, it's good enough you believed. I'm glad we're on the same page. I'm glad you believed in me. No, he spends time and he says to Peter three times, go and feed my sheep. And Matthew says, go and make disciples. The empty grave was literally just the beginning. I think too many times in our Christian faith and walk in the church, we make that the exclamation point. As it should be, it's an exciting day. But it's honestly just the beginning of the story. What are we going to do with the empty tomb? Who are we going to tell about the empty tomb? How are we going to live because of the empty tomb? The empty tomb 
is just the beginning of the story because it proved everything. It proved the Old Testament, it proved the prophecies, it proved Jesus wasn't a liar, it proved Jesus wasn't crazy, it proved he was the Son of God. And so then we have the whole New Testament say, and this is what you do with it. This is how you live as a church. This is how you live as believers. The empty tomb is just the beginning. And without it, we have nothing. But how will we respond? I have a song that, that Luke's going to play. And I just want you to read the words. You're probably, some of you will be familiar with it. Feel free to sing along if you want. But this song is all about that. The song's called So Will I. And the song is essentially saying, look, if, if creation's going to cry out, if the mountains are going to cry out, if the ocean's going to cry out, then I will too. Because we were created for much more than just saying the tomb was empty. We were created to worship, to cry out. So just listen to the song and then I'll be back up. I know I'm weird, but to me that's also a perfect Easter song. You left the grave behind. So will I. In other words, we're redeemed, we're reborn. So why do we continue to think less of ourselves? Why do we continue to put ourselves down? Why do we continue to hold on to the sin and hold on to the things of the earth? Just like he told Mary, let go of me. I got to go back to the Father. Just as he told the disciples, go, I'm sending you. That song over and over says, so will I. I will go. The mountains worship, the, the oceans worship, the stones worship, creation worships. And he died for eight billion plus people. And he calls us to love them. And so, as I said, the empty tomb is really just the beginning. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the empty tomb? What does our life look like? How does our life look different because of the empty tomb? If we truly believe he is who he says he was, and he proved that on the cross, and he proved that in the empty tomb, then our life should reflect that. Because when he says to go, whatever that may look like, we say, okay, I will. I'll go. And after his death and resurrection, he spent time in the end of Luke and Mark and Matthew and John, even the beginning of Acts, saying, all right, guys, the work's really just begun. I'm going to go home now, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to leave you my helper, and now I need you to do everything I taught you. I need you to go out and love on people. I need you to be servants. I need you to be humble. I need you to go be me. To a lost and broken world. And that to me is exactly what that song says. So the tomb was empty. But what will we do with that? Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the empty tomb. God, it just proved that you were God. And you conquered sin and death once and for all. I don't have to keep coming back and getting saved over and over and over. I don't have to sacrifice a lamb every single year. 
But God, the empty tomb also demands a response. What am I going to do with it? If I believe you are Lord, then I need to live like you are Lord. If I believe you are in charge of all of creation, then I need to live like you are in charge of all creation. And as you spoke to the disciples, to Thomas, to Mary, to Peter, you said, go. Make disciples. Go tell. Feed. All of those different verbs and adjectives describing what it means to go Live missionally. So God, the empty tomb really brings us to a fork in the road that what will we do with that? Will we stop there and that's just enough? Or will our response be of just adoration and worship and praise and servanthood to you because of everything the empty tomb means? Lord, and that's what the disciples did. They went out and they told and they served. And they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Some staying right in Jerusalem and some going as far as China. And Thomas, the doubter, went the farthest of anybody. And actually was the greatest apostle, even more so than Paul, in the fact of how many people he told the gospel to. The God of creation will cry out. The oceans will roar. If the mountains bow down. If the stars sing of your glory. Help us to also. Help us to say, so will I. In your name we pray. Amen.